0: Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books in some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine or culture. The Church closes the liturgical year with the Solemnity of Christ the King. Pius XI instituted this feast in his 1925 encyclical Quas Primas. In that document, Pius unpacked the mystery of Christ's kingship while acknowledging that only the liturgy, not his encyclical, could impress that mystery upon the minds and hearts of the faithful. Here is what Pius says in Quas Primas, paragraph 22. It is necessary that the kingship of our Saviour should be as widely as possible recognised and understood. To that end, nothing would serve better than the institution of a special feast in honour of the kingship of Christ. For people are instructed in the truths of faith and brought to appreciate the inner joys of religion far more effectively by the annual celebration of our sacred mysteries than by any official pronouncement of the Church's teaching. Such pronouncements usually reach only a few and the more learned among the faithful. Feasts reach them all. The former speak but once, The latter speak every year, indeed forever. The church's teaching affects the mind primarily. Her feasts affect both mind and heart and have a salutary effect upon the whole of man's nature. Man is composed of body and soul and he needs these external festivities so that the sacred rites and all the beauty and variety may stimulate him to drink more deeply of the fountain of God's teaching, that he may make it a part of himself and use it with profit for his spiritual life. End of the quotation. Here is a selection of five books that can help us unpack the mystery of Christ's kingship and live the solemnity more deeply. As Pius XI, who reigned from 1922 to 1939, instituted the Feast of Christ the King, the encyclical in which he did so is the obvious place to start for anyone interested in reading more about the Feast. However, Quas Primus was not the only encyclical in which Pius expounded upon Christ's kingship. Indeed, it wasn't even the first. He first addressed Christ's kingship in his maiden encyclical, Ubi arcano de concilio. This encyclical was on the peace of Christ and how that peace was to be found in the kingdom of Christ. In the encyclical, Pius explains the reason behind his papal motto, the peace of Christ is in the kingdom of Christ. Pax Christi in Regno Christi. With this motto, Pius wished to express his intention to continue the pastoral programmes of his two immediate predecessors. Like Benedict XV, he was committed to promoting peace in the wake of the Great War. That's why his motto begins with the words "the peace of Christ." At the same time, he believed that peace could only be achieved by continuing the work of Pius X to restore all things in Christ, as Saint Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, verse ten. Pius conveys this idea with the second part of his motto, "in regno Christi," in the kingdom of Christ. Here's what he says in the encyclical. It is apparent from these conditions and these considerations that true peace, the peace of Christ, is impossible unless we are willing and ready to accept the fundamental principles of Christianity, unless we are willing to observe the teachings and obey the law of Christ, both in public and private life. If this were done, then society being placed at last on a sound foundation the Church would be able, in the exercise of its divinely given ministry, and by means of the teaching authority which results therefrom, to protect all the rights of God over men and nations. It is possible to sum up all we have said in one word, the Kingdom of Christ. End of the quotation. One of the encyclicals' most important and enduring contributions was its teaching on the dignity and need of the apostolate of the laity. It speaks about this, in paragraph 58 and its teaching was picked up by the Second Vatican Council in Actuositatem Apostolicam. Number two of that document recalls this passage from Pius's encyclical and, like him, connects the postulate of the laity with the spreading of the Kingdom of Christ. 1925 when Pius XI published Quas Primas, marked the 16th centenary of the Council of Nicaea. That centenary afforded Pius one reason to publish a more systematic teaching on Christ's kingship. However, he was prompted primarily by the encyclical that Leo XIII had published for the 1900 jubilee, Annum Sacrum. There Leo had taught that Jesus is the king of all, whether baptized or not. The 1925 Jubilee was the perfect occasion for Pius to develop this teaching of Pope Leo XIII. He would do likewise with his encyclicals on marriage and the political economy. Each of these commemorates the anniversary of Leo's documents on these subjects and develops them further. Inquas primas, Pius points out that Christ is not just king in a metaphorical sense, namely on account of his unrivalled perfection as man. As scripture and the ancient liturgies repeatedly testify, he is king strictly and properly speaking. Moreover, he is rightfully king of all on two grounds. First, on account of his divine nature and the hypostatic union. Second, all authority in heaven and earth has been conferred upon his glorified human nature when, having accomplished the work of our redemption, he rises from the dead. For Pius, Christ's kingship consists of a threefold power – legislative, judicial and executive. Furthermore, his kingdom is primarily spiritual and concerned with matters pertaining to the spirit. Nevertheless, Pius also points out, and here I quote him, that it would be a grave error to say that Christ has no authority whatever in civil affairs, since by virtue of the absolute empire over all creatures committed to him by the Father, all things are in his power. Nevertheless, during his life on earth, he refrained from the exercise of such authority, And although he himself disdained to possess or to care for earthly goods, he did not, nor does he today, interfere those who possess them. End of the quotation. In other words, Christ's kingship is not just spiritual or scatological, it is also social. All humans, whether baptised or not, are under Christ's rule as Pius says in paragraph 18, Nor is there any difference in this matter between the individual and the family or the state. For all men, whether collectively or individually, are under the dominion of Christ. In him is the salvation of the individual. In him is the salvation of society. End of the quotation. Some scholars view Pius's teaching on Christ's kingship as the culmination of Catholic social teaching. The drama of modern secularism cannot be adequately understood or resolved if it is reduced primarily to a political problem or to the problem of church and state. What all persons and societies must come to grips with is the mystery of Christ. As Russell Hittinger has noted, Quas Primas marks the definitive passage within Catholic social teaching from a political register to a primarily Christological one. In this regard, the encyclical crowns the project initiated by Pope Leo XIII to present Catholic doctrine and society systematically and thereby form consciences amid an increasingly de-Christianised world. For this reason, reading Leo's principal social encyclicals is fundamental for understanding Quas Primas in Four and Pius de encyclical. Happily, Étienne Josson's excellent edition of them has been released recently. It is our second recommended reading. Gilson was one of the major Catholic thinkers of the 20th century and, for a time, actively engaged in politics. While he admired Pius XI and was at the height of his career when Quas Primas came out, the social kingship of Christ does not feature much in his work. He did write an intriguing essay called The Intelligence in the Servants of Christ the King. That essay is repeated in a Johnson Reader. However, there is not much else in the kingship of Christ in his extensive writings and politics, at least not explicitly. However, he could be said to address Christ's social kingship obliquely in the Cardinal Mercier lectures that he delivered at the University of Louvain in 1952. These lectures were later published as The Metamorphoses of the City of God. The Church's teaching on Christ's social kingship appears to entail, Josson notes, Christendom, a Res Publica Christiana. Josson describes it thus it is the people formed by Christians dispersed throughout all the nations of the world whose temporal relations are, or should be, affected by their shared membership in the Church. For Josson, it is up to the theologians to determine whether there needs to be some sort of Christendom and, if so, how it is related to the Church. What interests him is that there have been many false conceptions of Christendom. There have been repeated attempts to conceptualise and institute a universal temporal society, a global society of all under a single government. Josson explores these various reductive conceptions of Christendom and explains how each is inspired by the notion of the city of God, or, we might add, the kingdom of Christ. Each reduces the city of God to a universal temporal political society. Josson's The Metamorphoses of the City of God is the third recommended book. Originally, the Feast of Christ the King was celebrated on the last Sunday of October, right before all saints. That date was chosen to proclaim and extol the glory of him who triumphs in all the saints and in all the elect. With Paul VI's reform of the Roman Rite, the feast was placed on the last Sunday of ordinary time, towards the end of November. This moved the focus of the feast away from Christ's social kingship to his eschatological reign. Nor is it just the liturgical calendar that effectuates this shift. As several scholars have detailed, the missal and the lectionary do this as well. The commission charged with revising the prayers and readings for the feast probably reasoned that, given the Second Vatican Council's teaching on religious liberty and ecumenism, it was necessary to downplay Christ's social kingship. References to his social kingship would, as they saw it, come across as a liturgical endorsement of Catholic states. Arguably, the Commission's ecumenical concerns were unfounded. Pius XI's teachings on Christ's social kingship are more likely to appeal to Protestant Christians, or at least Orthodox Protestant Christians, then put them off. The importance of Quas Primas has not been lost, for example, on Stanley Harawas, a major Protestant theologian. He turns to that encyclical in his assessment of the liberal conception of freedom of religion and church-state relations. He finds the liberal conception wanting and states his position in the title of his essay The Kingship of Christ, Why Freedom of Belief is Not Enough. This essay has been reprinted in his book, In Good Company. The liberal conception of freedom of religion is problematic, Harworth notes, because its understanding of freedom and religion is very different from the Christians. For the Christian, freedom is not a good in and of itself. Rather, freedom exists for the sake of the good. Nor do Christians think of religions as liberals tend to, namely, as worshipped dissociated from questions about which God is being worshipped and whether this is the true God. As Harwell states, Christians are not religious in any general sense. Rather, Christians are the people who acknowledge the kingship of Christ. So Harwell turns, as he says, to Pius XI because he reminds us that Christians must acknowledge Christ's kingship not only in belief but in practice lest they find themselves worshipping foreign gods. In Quas Primas, Pius simply ponders the social implications of Christ's incarnation and resurrection. This is how Hawa summarises Quas Primas. If Christ became one of us, then he, like us, was embodied. And if Christ is king, then his kingdom is embodied as well. Or to put it conversely, Christ's kingship cannot be confined to some interior, privatised, spiritual realm. It is social, material, and in the fullest sense of the word, political. End of the quotation. While Horwals looks to Quas Primas for a prime doctrinal statement of Christ's kingship, other Protestant theologians working within their own traditions have reached much the same conclusions. Perhaps the most sustained and systematic presentation of the social implications of Christ's kingship from within the Protestant tradition is Abraham Kuiper's pro rege, living under Christ the King. Kuiper lived from 1837 to 1920, He was a Calvinist, a theologian, politician, and served as Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. He was also a journalist, so pro is highly readable despite its size. The introductions to the English edition put the work into context and do not shy away from identifying some of Kuiper's limitations. While Kuiper upheld Calvinism and the Pope's Catholicism, His project resembles that of the bishops of Rome of his lifetime. Like them, he appeals to the Gospel to counter the secularism ushered in by the French Revolution. Like them, he sets out the social implications of the truths professed in the Creed. Unsurprisingly, many of Kuyper's social teachings are substantially the same as those of the modern popes. Scholars point, for example, to the similarities between his doctrine of sphere sovereignty and the papal teachings on subsidiarity. Both insist that human nature, as created by God, is the source of different kinds of society, each with its specific end and norms. The state is one such society, but it is not the source of all the others. The state may have the authority to coordinate other societies or spheres, but it does not have the right to suppress or subvert them. Kuiper's most celebrated saying comes from a speech he gave on sphere sovereignty. Here I quote him There is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. The editors of the English edition of Pro Regi suggest that the work is an extended commentary on this statement. In the work, Cuiper explains, and here I quote him, The dominion of Jesus' kingship extends also to family, society, state, scholarship, art, and every other sphere of human activity. End of the quotation. Reading Cuiper can help Catholics get a fresh perspective on many of the teachings of Leo XIII and Pius XI. Similarly, reading Pius and Leo, along with the Catechism, will help them discern problematic points in Kuyper's theology. Overall, however, Pro Rege is an inspiring meditation on Christ's kingship. It is the fourth recommended reading. Whereas Christians confess that Jesus is the Lord, more and more people in the once Christian countries of the West are abandoning religion altogether. The so-called nuns, tend to cite something such as Enlightenment values as their creed. Moreover, they normally assume that Christianity's waning influence is a healthy development. It is one less obscurantist encroachment upon liberal democracies. What they fail to realise is that the values they prize, whether they identify these with the West, the Enlightenment, liberalism, socialism or progressivism, are rooted in Christianity. This is the thesis of Tom Holland's Dominion, The Making of the Western Mind, the fifth recommended book. To drive home this point, Holland takes the reader on a rollercoaster ride through 2,000 years of Western history. Dominion is a work of popular history written by a secularist. Even so, it corroborates many of Pius Sullivan's claims about the social benefits of Christianity. Therein lies its value. It is a secularist confirmation of Christ's kingship. As a secularist, Holland wants to skip over the first table of the Decadogue and stick with the second. He wants to hold on to Christ's teaching about the love for each person without believing in one Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to stick with the Enlightenment reduction of Christianity to a secular, this-worldly morality. Nevertheless, he has the intellectual honesty to recognise not only the West's ideological dependence upon Christendom, but also the danger it runs, the more it distances itself from Christ, of squandering the moral and intellectual capital it has inherited from Christianity. The historical precedents that Holland cites show that an utterly de society is not a pretty one. Without meaning to Dominion indicates how indispensable to society are devout Christians committed to Christ's kingship. These then are five books that can help us unpack the mystery and the solemnity of Christ the King. For full details in these books, click on the links in the show notes of this episode. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview and gain full access to our archive, visit fivebooksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes as little as one dollar, one pound or one euro can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again and God bless.